Taxes Show with your host, Eric Metaxas. Hey there, folks. This is the Eric Metaxas Show. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, I'm not, Alvin, I'm not even plugged in. This <laughs> is not. such a serious day today. It is, actually. I, if you ordered uh, an Eric Metaxas Show mug a couple of years ago, there was a saying on the mug, which I find very funny. It says, there's a time to be serious and a time, no, there's a time for joking around and a time to be serious. This is not one of them. I don't know what you make of that, yeah. but uh, the implication is uh, that we like to joke around on this program. We like to get serious. We like to mix them both. Yes. Today, however, is one of those rare times when I want to be deadly serious. We are, um, for the whole day today and for mo- most of tomorrow, we're going to be talking to our friend Brandon Strock. This is deadly serious, and I need your help, if you're listening to this, to get the word out about what has happened to him at the hands of the quote-unquote United States government. This is evil in our time, folks. This is evil what has happened. And very few people uh, are giving his story the attention it deserves. Now, his story is just part of the larger story of January 6th and, and what has happened to people who seem to go against uh, the Biden administration, the leftists who have taken over the country. Does that sound dramatic? I wish that it were. So we're going to be talking to him. Um, Brandon's story, just so you understand who he is, uh, he is, I mean, he was a gay hairdresser who uh, had ambitions in the world of uh, film and music and at some point, and he'll tell part of this story, uh, he kind of woke up to the fact that he was moving along in liberal lockstep, and he became an advocate uh, for, for President Trump. And what happened to him on January 6th is a story that everybody in America needs to know. This is a wonderful young man who loves his country, who is decent and honest. Obviously, he and I don't agree on everything. But I'll tell you what, when the government treats people like this, if you don't do something about it, if you turn a blind eye, you've become part of the problem. So we've already posted this on Rumble. If you get my newsletter, uh, you will get this, I think, today or tomorrow. Um, If you haven't signed up for my newsletter, let me tell you, go to ericmetaxas.com and sign up for the newsletter because we're being shadow banned on social media. As you know, we are not any longer on YouTube. We're living in tough times. And so uh, I want you to share the video or the audio, if that's easier for you. But the video, you can, it's already posted on Rumble. I posted it on social media. And by social media, I mean Twitter, Gab, Parler, Getter, Facebook, whatever. Um, But this is a chilling story. And we've had Brandon uh, in the studio a year and a half ago, two years ago. And he's just such a dear soul. And to think that he was subjected to this, you'll hear the story in a moment. Yeah, now you'll probably remember him because he started the hashtag walkaway campaign. That's right. And that's what brought him to fame and attention of the government. That's right. The hashtag walkaway campaign, walk away from the Democratic Party because he suddenly woke up and realized they don't represent me. They they don't, you know. So so he's a hero. Um, Now, uh, I want to say it again. You need to uh, – we haven't talked too much like this on the program, but uh, in the famous words of David Putty from Seinfeld, you got to support the team. 
you got to support the team. Uh, please do what you can. Uh, I also say support the sponsors of this program uh, who themselves in many cases have been targeted. We know our friend Mike Lindell has just sent tons and tons of pillows uh, up to the truckers. Support Mike Lindell and support this program by going to MyPillow.com, ordering like crazy and using the code ERIC. We could certainly use your help. We look at the numbers week by week. Uh, We need your help. You can also go to MyStore.com. I have to say that almost all of my books are available there. If you use the code ERIC, they're great prices. But the Bonhoeffer poster, which I never... I, I, or I shouldn't say I never, but I, I didn't think that I'd live to a time so, so quickly when what it says on that poster is applicable. It says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. Folks, we can't say it doesn't matter. We can't say it doesn't affect me. God demands that we do what we can for truth and justice in our time. I've written about people like William Wilberforce and Bonhoeffer who gave their lives, their careers. Uh, I think of all of the founders who pledged their lives, their careers, their sacred honors for what is right. Now is our time. Um, And so what can you do? You can do many things. Uh, As I said, you can support our sponsors, mystore.com, mypillow.com, nutramedics.com. These folks are heroes. Uh, If you use melatonin, vitamin D, vitamin C, Mm -hmm. uh, magnesium, zinc, all the stuff for your immune system, whatever it is, they give 50% of their profits to missions organizations. nutramedics.com. If you use the code ERIC, you get 20% off. Um, I want to exhort you uh, in a way maybe I haven't done before to help as you're able to help. I think our own Give, Send, Go page has crashed because of the whole trucker situation. Uh, You can see for yourself. But uh, we need your help. We need you to support folks like Brandon Strzok. Uh, You'll hear in my interview with him how you can help him out. Um, You can uh, go to mystore.com and mypillow.com and use the code ERIC, Nutramedics.com, use the code ERIC. Do support us also by signing up for my newsletter because that makes it very easy for you to share these interviews that we do. The Brandon Strzok video, I'm just asking you, share that with anyone you can. People in America, people who don't agree with us politically or theologically, need to see what is happening in this country. I would love to believe it's not happening. I want to look away. But... God has not allowed me to look away. The people on the far left were telling us, this is how Trump is going to be. This is Trump. This is Trump. This is Trump. And guess what? They're the ones that are putting ankle bracelets on their, on their uh, opposition I, it, and saying, you can't leave the house. I mean, you this can't is, fly. You can't do this. You can't th- do th- that. There are people, as I said, and, and you're saying it exactly, there are good people, folks, who, who aren't anywhere near where I am politically or whatever, God commands me to love my enemies, so my ideological enemies, people that disagree with me. One way I want to love them is by saying, please, look at this. Listen to this story. Now, the story, uh, as you know, um, uh, is something that you can share on social media. You can send out an email with a link to it. If you you get our newsletter, that makes it easier. Go to ericmetaxas.com. You'll get the newsletter. You'll get all the links. You can just forward the newsletter if it's easier for you. But we have to get the story out. Uh, I've just never felt such an urgency. The horror of what happened to our friend Brandon Strzok, it is so chilling. 
it, it's so upsetting to me that I want everyone in America to say, look, this, this happened. So what are we going to do about it? Is this okay? Is this how we treat people? We've complained about how terrorists, actual terrorists, are treated at Gitmo. And we should, on humanitarian grounds. We should care about those things, especially if you're any kind of a Christian. You have to care about that. Well, our own folks are being treated that way. It's amazing. It's chilling to me. Um, So before we go to our uh, interview with Brandon Strzok, let me remind you that I will be this weekend speaking in Albuquerque, New Mexico, at Skip Heitzig's church. If you know anybody in the New Mexico area, I'd love to see you. I'll be signing books, hanging out. I'd love to meet people. Next week, I'll be in Old Bridge, New Jersey for an event. And then immediately after that, flying to Phoenix, where I'm doing an event next weekend in Phoenix. And on and on it goes. Um, I also want to remind you that yesterday we had two of the best interviews we've had on this program in a long time our friend John Zmirak in Hour 2 and our friend Larry Taunton in Hour 1, talking about many of the things that are related to what I just talked about and to Brandon Strzok. Uh, there's a film I've been talking about, tough film, not a family film, called Mr. Jones. It is uh, something that I wish every American could see of a certain age because it's tough to watch. Uh, we're going to go to a break. So listen carefully to what Brandon Strzok has to say and um, share it as you're able. God bless you. Keep me searching for a heart of gold, and I'm getting old. You cut out your dancing, and you never see a show. Friends come by to pick you up, and you hardly ever go. I have as my guest uh, uh, for most of the show today, for all the show today, I hope, Brandon Strzok. Brandon, I don't know how to introduce you except to say um, I'm honored to have you on the program. You've been through hell. You love freedom. You love America. And uh, I want to hear your story. I want my audience to hear your story. So welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, Yes, it's been uh, it's been a really, really unbelievably terrible year. Uh, It's not over. I'm still going through many pieces of this, um, which, as I think we get into it, your audience will better understand uh, just how bizarre I think this entire situation is my my piece of it. And um, and I think I wish more people were paying attention to my particular story, not just because it happened to me, but because I feel like my story so clearly shows the ways in which January 6th are, is being manipulated, right. like extremely manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's even putting it mildly. Uh, it's like saying Hitler manipulated people. Um, <laughs> let's, let's start at the beginning though, just so people understand um, y- y- you, you, I want to get your background. I want to talk about the fact that you were there on January 6th uh, at the Capitol. You did absolutely nothing and they put you through bloody hell. But before we get to that, um, for people who don't know you uh, or who don't remember you uh, from when you were on the show, because it's been a long time, um, just tell people your story, what you were doing in life, where you grew up, how you came to be uh, somebody who loves the country. 
Sure. So uh, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, and I ended up moving to New York City uh, in my early adult life uh, to pursue a career in acting and singing. I was a very typical uh, leftist liberal, uh, liberal my entire life. Um, largely I say, because I'm a gay man. And I think that, you know, for my community or most minority communities where we we're basically told that we don't have a choice that you're supposed to be a Democrat. If you're a black or Brown or LGBT person or a woman or a religious minority, what have you. And, um, so I was, uh, you know, an unquestioning liberal through about 2017. And in fact, voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, and uh, was shocked when Donald Trump got elected president because I had so trusted the media sources like CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times. I mean, these were my go to sources for information. And they had been spending the last you know 18 months or whatever previous to the 26 election, 2016 election, saying that Donald Trump had, you know, a three percent chance of winning because he was the second coming of Hitler and a Nazi, et cetera. And so when he ended up winning the election, Two things happened. One, I was terrified. And two, I was completely confused about how the media I trusted had gotten this so completely wrong. And I felt betrayed. And so I went on this journey to try to understand how the media got it so wrong and why anyone would support Donald Trump. And that journey went for six, seven, eight, nine months throughout the course of 2017. And by the time it was over, I mean, I did a lot of reading. I watched a lot of videos. Over time, I finally started listening to conservative voices who I had previously hated and was unwilling completely to even listen to. Now I was starting to listen to them and actually identify with a lot of things that they were saying. And by the end of 2017, I had actually completely walked away from the Democratic Party, from liberalism, from the liberal media. And by the end of 2017, I ended up becoming a Trump supporter and a conservative. And then in 2018, I just really wanted to speak out about this and do something and try to encourage more people to go on a journey similar to mine. So I launched a campaign in early 2018 called the Walkaway Campaign, encouraging people to start thinking for themselves, doing their own homework, doing their own research, and then ultimately for other people who had had a similar experience to make testimonial videos telling their stories about why they too were walking away from the Democratic Party. And that just sort of exploded in 2018. And then throughout the next two years, we started doing events, video content, and Walkaway became a very well-supported and well-loved organization. And it still is and will be again. Well, um, thank you for that, uh, you know, nutshell version of things. It's fascinating. Your story is fascinating on so many levels because when you describe yourself uh, as a gay man in New York City and how it's unthinkable not to be liberal, uh, I I was um, in a world similar to that. I mean, if you're in the humanities or in the literary world, um, it, it is unthinkable. And so I had a, uh, really began with my religious experience, a Jesus experience, which then quickly, uh, kicked me over, uh, into thinking politically conservatively. So it's always fascinating people's journeys of how they get where they are and how you became one of the most effective voices, uh, for, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to call it. It's like MAGA values, right? People who realize they've been confused. They've been lied to. This is a great country. This is on and on and on. So you were a very, very effective advocate 
for that. Um, very celebrated. And so then tell us what happened on, Jan- you know, leading up to January 6th and what happened to you on January 6th. Yeah. Well, before I even get into that, I guess I'd like to preface this by saying, well, I'll preface this by saying two things. As I'm beginning now to get out and tell my story uh, and people haven't heard from me an entire year, and I'm just now over the course of the last week beginning to speak out about what happened, there's a lot of outrage, I think, on my behalf. And I appreciate that. I, I, I really do want to tell people that it means a lot to me that people care and that they feel outrage. That being said, I know that a lot of people say, you know, you did absolutely nothing wrong. You're totally innocent. And I think that that's coming from that place of 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 loving me and wanting to protect me and, and support me. So but I just want to be clear that I'm not here today to say that I did absolutely nothing wrong. I think that the ways I've been punished and the, the narrative that has been created around my story is now beyond hyperbolic and it, it's beyond uh, absurd exaggeration. And so I kind of want to set the record s- straight, but I just want to be clear that I'm not here today to be like, I did absolutely nothing wrong. I was perfect. Uh, and uh, well, wait a minute. I can say you did nothing wrong from what I know. You did nothing wrong. So maybe you're being over scrupulous. Maybe you have something to say. We'll get into it. But um, <laughs> let me just say that you've been put through hell. Uh, yeah, and um, that's true. I, my audience at least needs to to hear your story. But frankly, let me be the one to say, I don't think you did anything wrong unless you uh, you, you can uh, educate me on that. Um, we uh, you know, we want to be. We want to be. We do we do care uh, about things uh, and and how we do things. But in any event, so so tell me the story. What led up to January 6th for you? Sure. Yeah. And and the other thing that I was going to say is that I I think what makes it sort of so sad and tragic that I've been entangled in this and to the, the degree that I have is that I actually didn't even want to be in DC on January 6th. What I I had at this point already sort of given up on the, the idea that we could possibly be successful in exposing election fraud, which is not to say that I had given up on believing that there were some extreme irregularities with the election and that that needed to, that needs to be addressed. It needed to be addressed. It still needs to be addressed. But I felt that the situation had been so mishandled on our side. We put, I think we put the wrong people in charge of trying to handle it. It turned into a clown show. Uh, we had, you know, this one out there in front of the cameras every day talking about the Kraken, going to release the Kraken. You know, we had Lynn Wood out there telling people to stop voting. And I, I mean, it just became crazy. The other one's got the hair dye, dye dripping down the face. And it just it became a mess. It was an absolute mess. And so I'd gotten to the point where I felt like my time would be better served where I was, which was I went to the state of Georgia. I was uh, door knocking and phone banking with volunteers to save the Senate for Purdue and Leffler, those two seats which were coming up on January 5th. So I had intended to stay in Georgia and be a poll watcher on January 5th. But about a week or so before I had gotten an invitation to come and speak at an event at the Capitol on January 6th. I still was waffling back and forth about doing it because I felt like, you know, again, I felt like my time would be better served in Georgia, but the momentum was starting to build and president Trump had put out a tweet and told everyone to come to DC on January 6th. And uh, you know, it was going to be big. And there was sort of this implication, at least as I took it, that, 
something game changing was going to be revealed. Um, and I thought to myself, OK, possibly something historic and uh, and unprecedented is going to be revealed on that day. And I'm, I'm getting this offer to be a speaker. And that in itself, I think, is a great honor because we knew that President Trump was going to speak at the ellipse. And then there was going to be a march to the Capitol. And then there were going to be dozens of people speaking. So. I agreed to go and change my plans. And on the 4th of January, I flew to uh, D.C. And things were kind of coming up on the fly. So actually, let me uh, let me cut you off. We're going to be right back, folks. We're talking to Brandon Strzok. Uh, Buckle your seatbelts. This is uh, this is going to be a bumpy uh, conversation. Yeah, (laughs) we'll be right back. Folks, I'm talking to Brandon Strzok. Brandon, you tell us how you came to be there on January 6th at the Capitol. So just keep going. Sure. Uh, So I had gotten an invitation to speak on January 6th at the Capitol. Uh, There were going to be dozens of people speaking that day. Um, I, you know, I'd been told that there would be a stage. There would be, you know, this was an event that was being put together and things were kind of happening on the fly. So there was uh, another event that had popped up in Freedom Plaza on on January 5th, the day before. And as I was going and word was circulating that I would be there, I was asked if I also wanted to drop in and speak at Freedom Plaza on the 5th. And I said, sure, of course, I'll be there anyway. So I showed up on the 5th. Um, I this is the day before now at Freedom Plaza took to the stage and I gave a very fiery speech on the fifth, uh, really rallying the crowd, saying things like, uh, you know, we have to this is a revolution. Uh, We're not going to just hand this election over to, I said, the rhinos and the Democrats who want to throw Trump under the bus and things like that. Uh, Little did I know what was going to take place on the next day or how the words that I was using on the fifth would be used against me, because at this point now, saying something as innocent as this is a revolution. We're not going away. We're not going to just hand this election over. These are now being words that are being manipulated by the left to say that I knew in advance that something was, and I, you know, right. I was rallying the crowd, signaling to them to be violent. Right. The next but see, day this is the point. The you did nothing wrong and your words are being twisted. And right. we, we have to push against that. We have to say, this is a free country. I can say whatever the heck I want. The idea that using those terms would lead people to do what? How many senators were killed on January 6th? Oh, none. How how many were shot? Oh, zero. Oh, I'm sorry. My words, you know, this is a, you understand that. uh, 100%. This is so anyway, but that's the narrative. So keep going. Sure. Yeah. And um, as long as we're on the subject of speech for a moment too, I mean, it's, it's, there's, as with everything, this enormous double standard that's taking place, because we know that for years, people like Maxine Waters were out there saying that if you see tr- people who support the president, you know, form a circle around them at the gas station, intimidate them, threaten them, things like this. I mean, that to me is actually a very egregious and intimidating threat. Whereas I think saying something like this is a revolution and we're not going to just hand over the election. Uh, I think it's a far stretch to assume that I'm signaling violence to take place on the next day. But right. 
regardless. So the next day I went to the ellipse and I listened to President Trump speak. There were hundreds of thousands of people there. He very clearly said at the end of his speech for everyone to march peacefully to the Capitol and the symbol peacefully. Uh, And so I was one of the last people to exit the ellipse, which meant that I was actually probably one of the last people to arrive at the Capitol. I took the metro over there. And as I was arriving on the D.C. metro, uh, I started getting a couple of text messages from people who were at home uh, saying that they were watching the news or listening to the news and that they were hearing that people were going inside. I, that sounded a little crazy to me. And but the first thing that I thought of was the number of times that left wing protesters have gone inside of government buildings to shout out, you know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation or the times that, you know, Alyssa Milano and uh, and groups of feminists went inside and were pounding on senators doors saying we want to talk to you, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, conservatives must be doing something similar to that. And that's really interesting because I've actually never seen. Republicans or Trump supporters behave that way. I mean, normally I'm frustrated with conservatives because I have a hard time even getting them out of the house to come out and, you know, hold up a sign and do an event. I keep telling people for years how important it is to get involved. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing that people are going inside the building and I don't even really know what that means. But I thought to myself, this is something that if it's true, I definitely want to be there and document because I have a very large audience and a large following. And either I'm going to be speaking at this event, which was what was planned, or if for some reason the the plan has changed, I want to be there to document what's happening. So I hit record on my phone and I began shooting video when I was about, I'd say, three, four, five blocks away from the Capitol. And the reason why I did that is because I have enough experience at this point going to live events, whether it's the Women's March, BLM rallies, Antifa uh, ra- rallies or riots, to know that you it's better to get more footage than less footage because you never know when something's going to happen. Right. So I started filming blocks away and I'm approaching the Capitol from the east side. Now, bear in mind, at this point, all I know is that I've received a few messages from people who aren't there saying that they're hearing that people are going inside. So I begin approaching the Capitol grounds from the east side after 2.30 p.m. So this is now after I didn't know this, to be clear, I did not know this. But all of the senators or all every member of Congress had already cleared the building as I was entering the Capitol grounds. So there was no session anymore taking place that had already ended. They had already exited. I didn't know that. But just for for reference, I'm entering the Capitol grounds on the east side and I am shooting my video. Now, for anyone who is listening or watching this interview, uh, if you go to Mark Levin's YouTube channel, Levin TV, he and I did an interview last week in which he showed the entire video that I shot. And we go through it moment by moment discussing what you see. And I, I really encourage people to watch that because as I'm entering the Capitol grounds, there's several things that you'll notice in the video. One, there's zero, literally zero police officers present in my video. There are just people sort of milling about calmly on the, on the ground. So, you know, there's a woman pushing her baby in a stroller. There are people holding signs. People are kind of talking. It's the atmosphere is very calm. The second thing that you'll notice is that there are no closed barricades. There Wait, are no. Hang on one second. Go to another commercial break, folks. We'll be right back talking to Brandon Strzok. Now I 
Eric Metaxas show talking to Brandon Strzok. Brandon, so keep going. You're describing the scene at the Capitol as you arrive. Right. So I'm approaching the east side of the Capitol. This is somewhere, I think, between 2.30 p.m. and 2.40 p.m. Uh, and in the video that I'm shooting, which people can go to uh, Levin TV YouTube channel, Mark Levin's YouTube channel, he interviewed me and we go through this video moment by moment. And So the first thing you'll notice is that there are zero police officers on the grounds where I was as I was entering. The second thing that you'll notice is that there are no closed barricades of any kind. So there's there's no tape. There's no traffic cones. There's nothing. No one's standing there saying you're not allowed to be here, not to mention the fact that there are literally thousands of people standing around on the grounds as I'm walking in. So I walk in on this side. And the reason, by the way, that I keep emphasizing that I was walking in on the east side of the grounds uh, or of the Capitol is that this is something that the conservative media and, and that's a whole nother show we could do about all the ways in which the conservative media has failed uh, to get the truth out about this, this story or, or the nuances of the story of January 6th. The violence that people when you watch news stories and you see people smashing windows and scaling walls and squeezing police officers into doorways and, and really terrible things, uh, which I completely condemn. But that happened, as far as I know, exclusively on the west side of the building. I didn't see any of that happening on the east side of the building. And I don't believe that it happened on the north or south side of the building. So anyone who was arrested in conjunction with January 6th, including myself, who was arrested on the north side, the south side or the east side of the building for whatever reason. And remember, I ultimately ended up being charged with disorderly conduct, pleading guilty to disorderly conduct outside of the Capitol. But I didn't witness any of those things that happened on the west side of the building. So I'm approaching, going up. And as in my video, you see a a large concentration of people on the Capitol steps. And so I started making my way up the steps. And as I'm making my way up the steps, there's a man at the top of the, the stairs holding his hat in his hand, motioning down to the people below and saying they've opened the doors. They're letting us in. We're going in. We're going in. And so I walked to the top of the stairs. I held my my camera fully above my head with my arms extended because there were hundreds of people up there. <clears throat> and I, you know, I had people right in front of me at eye distance, the back of people's heads. So I hold my camera up. I point it down towards the door. And what you see in my video is that there are two large metal doors, which are wide open and a pretty large crowd of people standing shoulder to shoulder trying some of them, not everyone, some of them are trying to make their way inside. And so I stood there and I filmed for about eight minutes as this scene was unfolding and the crowd was kind of you know swaying to the left and swaying to the right because there were a lot of people. And after eight minutes of filming, and I, I would estimate that I did not get within 20 feet of the, of the doors on the east side. After about eight minutes of standing on the steps and filming, a man comes outside, gets on a bullhorn and says, They've cleared Congress. Everybody clear out. He said, uh, you know, we 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 did what we came here to do or mission accomplished, something like that. And so at that point, I immediately turned around. This is all on my video. I immediately turned around and I told the people behind me, go this way. Turn around. They want you to clear out. 
And then I walked down the stairs and I remained on the Capitol grounds for about outer grounds for about 30 minutes and just interviewed people. I shot about 13 videos, just interviewing people. What, why did you come here today? What brought you out? Things like that. My intention was to put together a little media package and just show people what, you know, this is what I experienced today at the Capitol. This is what I saw. So I ended up going back to my hotel and which took probably an hour, hour and a half to get back to the hotel. And I uploaded the video that I had shot to Twitter, just the first video where I was entering the grounds and what I witnessed with the doors being open and people going inside. And I, I posted it on social media saying something like, this is what I saw today at the Capitol. And shortly after that, I started to see and hear cable news talking heads talking about how ashamed they were about what had happened at the Capitol. Oh, my God, we're so embarrassed. We're so ashamed. Now, I made a big mistake at this point because I assumed that what I had witnessed was the totality of the Capitol breach, So, which, again, is not to say that these people did absolutely nothing wrong. But when I'm standing there seeing two open doors and some people are making their way inside and I'm thinking, like this, this is the most shameful thing that's ever happened in American history. Like, I, yeah. I, that seems a little much to me. Yeah, and, even what happened on the other side, it's pure hyperbole. I mean, we we still don't know really what happened. Um, so, but anyway, the the point is that people were fed a narrative, and it is almost entirely nonsense. And folks like you who did less than nothing. Uh, have been through hell. We haven't gotten to that part yet. So keep going. Sure. Uh, So I I, I made some comments at that point, kind of calling out some of these cable news talking heads who were shaming the people at the Capitol, because, again, I mistakenly believe that what I witnessed was the was the entirety of the Capitol breach. Well, it was probably an hour or two after that, that I started to see footage on the news of the window smashing and the wall scaling and all of those things that took place on the other side of the building that I didn't witness myself. And at that point, I became embarrassed thinking, oh, wow, okay, this is much bigger than I realized. And I've now you know, made all of these statements and uploaded this video, which make it seem like I condone that people were doing that on the other side of the building. So I immediately took my video down and I took my posts down where I had made any comments that could be interpreted as supportive of that behavior. And to me, I thought that was the end of it. I figured that for a couple of days, I would have to deal with trolls saying, you know, you are supporting the people at the Capitol. But I, I honestly believed that would be the end of it. And for the next two, two and a half weeks, every single day, Twitter trolls were tagging the FBI and telling them to come arrest me. And even though I had taken my video down, my video only lived on Twitter for an hour and a half or two hours. But the Twitter trolls had already copied it during that period of time. So they were reposting my video over and over and over again and tagging the FBI and telling them to come arrest me. Don't you find that interesting? Who are these people doing this? Why are they tagging the FBI? It seems like they planned this to me. Well, at the very least, even if that's not the case, I think it's really weird that there are people who would dedicate their time and their energy that's, to do doing that, things that, like that's this. That's at least that's at least true. Uh, we're going to go to another break. Folks talking to Brandon Strock. Don't go away.
Talking to Brandon Strzok. Brandon, as you just put it to me off the air, the table is set. We understand now uh, you're in your hotel room and you you see the madness. The madness is beginning to uh, to be unfurled. So keep going. Right. So I, you know, I went back home the next day on January 7th and I kind of just started moving on with my life. And um, I was actually very excited about the future. I obviously I would have much preferred that Donald Trump had gotten a second term in uh, 2020. But I thought to myself, you know, my organization walk away uh, at the end of the day, that's really where my focus needs to be and always has been. And I thought to myself, well, this, you know, let's try to embrace the positive about the situation because It'll be interesting to see now how Walkaway does under a Democrat regime. We've got now the Democrats in full control of the federal government. Joe Biden is now the president. And I actually think that Walkaway will be more successful and do better under these circumstances than it did under Republican leadership. So I was actually kind of excited about the future until January 25th, um, 2021, Monday morning uh, at the crack of dawn. I woke up to the sound of knocking at my door. And my first thought was that my maintenance person in my building had come really early to deal with an issue. And I, I thought to myself, why is he here so early? And now, uh, what city are you in? Omaha, Nebraska. OK, you're yeah. at your home in Omaha, Nebraska. There's a knock at your door. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's it's quite obviously very early. I mean, you know, that feeling when something wakes you up and you're like, OK, this is way, way, way too early. And um so I'm thinking to myself, you know, why is my maintenance guy coming so early? And right as I'm having that thought, the knocking, it changes from knocking to boom, 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 boom. And I just shot up in bed. And my first thought was, oh, my God, the FBI is here. Like the FBI actually came to my house and they're pounding so hard that it seems obvious to me at this point that if I don't get to the door fast, they're going to break it down. So I go running to my door and I'm blind as a bat without glasses or contacts. So, of course, I, I can't see. And I'm running to the door. And as I get close to the door, I just said, who's out there? And they said, FBI, open up. And I just thought, oh, my God, I, can't, I, I cannot believe that this is really happening. So I opened the door. And within 30 seconds, I'm turned around and, and cuffed with my hands cuffed behind my back. And they're saying to me, do you know why we're here? And I said, no. And they said, you have you have no idea why we're here. I said, well, I'm assuming this has to do with, do with January 6th. But no, I don't know why you're here. And the lead officer. Now, we're talking about a team of about eight or nine uh, FBI agents in SWAT gear outside of my house. And the lead agent says to me, you're facing multiple felony charges for what you did on January 6th. And I remember I said felonies. I said I didn't even commit any crimes. And he said, oh, I, <clears throat> I saw the video. I saw what you did. <clears throat> and so at that moment, I kind of started going crazy and going, what, what did I do? Like, did I attack somebody and I forgot? Like, did I black something out? Like, what is he talking about? And so at that moment, they presented me with a search warrant and the team of agents came in my apartment and started stripping it of my computers, my tablets, my phones, my hard drives, my clothing, my camera. I mean, basically anything electronic they start taking. And the the lead agent is telling me that he wants me to answer questions. And I said to him, I, I cannot answer any questions without an attorney. 
And he said, "Okay, so you're refusing to cooperate with us. And I said, no, 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 I'm not refusing to cooperate with you. I'm I'm totally willing to cooperate with you, but I cannot answer any questions without an attorney. And so at that point, he said, "Okay, uh, that's fine. So they stood me up, paraded me through my apartment, took me downstairs and put me in a black car and drove me to jail. Damn.